You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, do I have such a treat for you today. I am always in search of the best guests for you, of course, and for myself because I selfishly just swoon over the conversations I get to have on this podcast. And today's guest is absolutely no exception. So Megan Lindquist, also known as Mimi or Get Mimi Fit on Instagram, has become someone I just adore. She is so darling and kind and gracious and knowledgeable and such a hardworking, inspiring woman. I could go on and on with all the things I love about her. And in today's show, she talks about things publicly that she has never shared before. And I am just so grateful that she would show up so beautifully for herself And for our community to open up in this way, we really get into it. So she's the mushroom queen, as you will hear me call her many times in this episode. But it's really what she has discovered in her sexuality, sensuality, and feminine prowess over the last few years that really stands out. And so much of that is due to mushrooms of the psychedelic and healing nature. And it also has to do with her divorce. And we get into the experience that she had around evangelical Christianity, being married at a young age, getting divorced, and now being back with her ex-husband. What? (laughs) Their story is wild and beautiful. I know them both now, and I just love them. They are so precious, and they're doing a really beautiful job of being incredibly transparent in order to support other people on their love and healing journeys themselves. So I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Before we get into it, I just want to tell you about my program that is open right now. Her Truth is an at-your-own-pace program that supports women who are really looking to break free of societal expectations and patterns and norms. And I love talking about this now because this is so much of what Mimi and I got into. We fall into these traps and these beliefs that we're not sure how we got there, but it's what we're taught from a really young age. And so we just think this is how life is supposed to be. And this program really helps you come back to yourself, find your truth, live an embodied life, and find what it is and how you want to live moving forward. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And how will you take that into your heart and embody that on an everyday basis? How will you get radically honest in order to do so? So you'll get audio lessons from me, a journal that was curated just for you, as well as guided pleasure and meditations. 
uh, audios. And it's just a really, really beautiful way to reconnect with yourself and find your truth. And it's all at your pace. So you can go to kellytenant.com slash her dash truth to sign up now. All right, let's get into this one with the incredible Mimi. Mimi, the mushroom queen. So happy to have you. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. I'm super excited for this interview. As I, as I told you, this is so different than any of the other interviews that I do. So I get to like flex my other wings here. Yes. You know, I think I love how educated and open you are about helping people. And for me, as I, I stepped out, we were just kind of talking about my like past life and letting things go and moving into a new version of myself. So much of what I've done is to step in to be of service, especially to women. Mm-hmm. And that is what you do. I mean, if I look at the way you speak, how you show up, the authenticity and genuine nature of your heart and the way you even are in communication with Chase, I mean, it's so beautiful the way you show up. How did you get to a point of knowing my gift truly is to educate and be of service to women. Hmm. Um, I mean, it really goes back to me being a dental hygienist. So I'm still a, a registered dental hygienist. I just don't practice clinically because mushrooms called me to something different. Um, but really as a dental hygienist, I mean, anyone who's gone to the dentist, you kind of know um, that the hygienist is is working with you basically the entire time. The dentist kind of pops in and out, gives you a quick exam, but the hygienist is really the person that takes care of you or should be taking care of you um, if they're a good one. And you get to this point where you really trust your hygienist. Um, and that was something that I always wanted to be for for my patients. Um, I practiced clinically for seven years and my favorite type of patient was the person who actually had fear around the dentist. Um, because there's a lot of people, not everyone, um, like myself likes going to the dentist and likes getting their teeth cleaned and all of that. Um, your teeth are beautiful. You probably are one of those people that likes it. No, I hate like it. it. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's the worst. Oh also, gosh, I mean, it. I'll just admit this now. My whole like top level of teeth, they're all fake. So oh, they're veneers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, they look great. Oh, I would never know. Sometimes you can tell like, oh yeah, those are fake for sure. Yours look incredible. Oh, um, so my favorite type of patient was someone that maybe did have some, some fear or maybe a lot, you know, there would be people shaking in my chair and you know, to have the person at the very end say, okay, that, that wasn't that bad. Or wow, that was a lot better than it usually is. Um, you know, say they were a new patient or something. So I really started to value that part of myself that wanted to not just like educate someone, but also be like a safe kind of energy for people. And back then I didn't really, you know, call it that. It was just kind of what came natural to me. And then looking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, that what that really was my favorite type of patient. So I would say being a hygienist and and you're seeing, you know, upwards of 10, 12 people a day. So that's really what I was doing all day, every day. Um, I would say it started there for sure. So it's interesting because as you're explaining that for me, what comes up is a relationship with fear. Hmm. 
Because so often we show up to help others because of our own experiences. We've been left alone. We haven't been taken care of. Mm. We've been in a state of fear and no one's been there to walk us through it or hold our hand. Mm. I wonder if there was a time early in life for you where you had those fears and, and the, the inability to feel taken care of or seen allowed you to step more into that role as, as a woman. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know, you know, a little bit about my, my story or backstory, but, um, my parents were divorced, uh, when I was two years old. So I don't have any like real memories of my parents together. Um, and they both remarried multiple times. So I would say probably from a very early age, um, you know, that instilled a lot of resiliency in me, but there probably was for my little child brain, some level of unknown and uncertainty. And, you know, you're going back and forth from house to house and there's new people, new boyfriends, new girlfriends popping in and dating and new siblings. And there probably was a a part of little Mimi that, um, that felt, you know, scared or uncertain. Um, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel as though you have dropped more into the feminine recently? Oh, 100%. (laughs) What, what was the catalyst for that? Um, well, really I've never been like a super masculine energy per se, but I think, you know, coming into and really recognizing and embracing the feminine is very different than just being masculine. Um, I feel like when I first heard about and learned about the masculine and feminine energies and how they play together, it felt honestly like a secret to the universe. Um, it made, it made everything or a lot of things in my life make so much more sense. Oh, that happened because of this, or this person thought this because of this way or this dynamic. Like it just sheds so much light on your past experiences and then what you're going through. So understanding the feminine, um, and embracing that and, and in a family of six kids, you know, like I was always, I was one of the, the youngest, the youngest of four. And then there was two below me. And so I was like fighting for attention a lot of the time. And so I could see how that would bring up kind of more masculine energies rather than like, I'm going to be soft and gentle and everything like that. But really the main thing that I would say really brought that on or to, to the forefront of my brain was my divorce. So a little bit of backstory for your listeners. I married my childhood high school sweetheart. Um, we were together for 10 years total. We were married for three and we actually then were separated and divorced only to be reunited three and a half years later. And that's who my partner in life is now, my soulmate, Chase. So really our divorce was a huge light switch that went on for me. It was, it was, I mean, I won't say I had it all figured out. I hardly had anything figured out, but it really did bring up in me the feeling of, okay, so that didn't work. What does work? And it elicits this feeling of like, I don't know what I'm doing and I need to figure it out. I'm a type three Enneagram. 
I always have a to-do list. I'm always looking for what's the next thing that I, how can I evolve next? How can I constantly be getting better, 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 better? And you might feel as too, but like when you start that self-development snowball, it doesn't stop. And that happened once I discovered John Wineland and his work, I was like, how, how have I gone this far in my life and, and not known that this even exists? And, um, when he first explained the masculine and feminine energies, I swear my whole like marriage flashed before my eyes and all the things, maybe not all, but a good majority of the things that went wrong. It was easy to see like, Oh, he did that because he thinks differently than I do. He thinks with a masculine brain, completely different than me with a feminine brain. So that was really the catalyst to turn on my awareness to the masculine and feminine energies. And then me like stepping into my feminine. Mm. Yeah. That really leads me into where I was going. I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. I feel like we're very (laughs) similar in a lot of ways. Um, We are. But I see in you, and I've only known you for a short period of time, but I see this achiever and this to-do list girl and this woman who is incredibly successful and is a creator and is going. And at the same time, I also see this beautiful, sensual flow, this goddess energy, this feminine allowance. And that's what I have been um, allowing into my life because I was always the achiever in the go, go, go. And I was very much in the masculine and I didn't realize until a couple years ago. So it's allowing that back and forth between the masculine and feminine, allowing them to merge and work together and It's so interesting when you watch a woman who allows that into her life, who has that awareness of what her patterns are. And the Enneagram is such a perfect um, kind of addition into self-awareness and knowing, okay, this is where I revert back to. This is really like at my core, how I operate and I can allow more in. So as you became more aware after the divorce or maybe through it, how you weren't allowing as much femininity and where that was sort of missing pieces in the relationship. What were you doing to expand that and to really lean into that part of yourself? Hmm. I think it was a combination of things, honestly, like discovering John Wineland, which I already mentioned, but going to his, I went to an in-person intensive women's retreat, his first ever woman's event that he did in Santa Monica. And I went with my best girlfriend, Meryl, um, who I knew from church. So I grew up very sheltered, evangelical Christian. I was a good Christian girl. I didn't know what a penis looked like until I was in high school. I, I like, I, I was the quintessential good girl and, um, (laughs) really discovering and going to this, um, event with my, my church girlfriend. She was my best friend at the time. She was just down for anything. She was like, Oh yeah, this sounds great. Let's go. (laughs) And the stuff that they have you do is, is, I mean, you're breaking down all barriers. Like, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but like there's things that she and I did in the safe space of this workshop that we, we came out of and we're like, we're never, 
we're never telling anyone that we did this. Like, I mean, what happens with John stays with John. (laughs) I mean, that sounds weird and like culty, but what I mean is like, he, he provides this safe place and there was women all over there. There was women facilitators. It was actually mostly women facilitators, but you are in this safe place where everyone is doing the same thing that you're doing in their own way. So you don't feel weird. You don't feel shame. You don't feel guilt or whatever. If you're raging on the floor or you're, you know, bringing like sensuality into your like dance and movement, like everyone is doing that. So you don't feel dumb. You feel dumb if you're not doing it. Mm. So it really provided this safe place. And I, and, and that event was the first time that I, moved my body in ways that, that was different, that had emotion and sensuality attached to it. Um, that I had to be creative with my body. Like we had this exercise, I'll just give an example where they played music and we all had our own little yoga mat and they played music for an hour and we, everyone had to close their eyes and move your body in completely foreign new ways. And the point of this was to get out of your, your pathways, your, your, your natural ways of thinking and moving. Cause there was a lot of yogis there and they wanted to go into like their yoga routine. And he said, I don't want any of that. I want you to move your body in a completely different way, whether that's thrashing or dancing or whatever, you had to stay on your little mat. So you had to get really creative. And that was the first time that I remember actually like opening up that part of me and relating new pathways in my brain to sensuality and movement and just allowing, allowing so much of stepping into your feminine is just allowing, just letting, right. Letting the fire rage a little bit. And growing up with a Christian background, I am very grateful for the values that it instilled. I'm not so grateful for the shame that it tacks on. If you step, you know, just one little toe outside of what everyone else is doing. And that's my experience. I don't know if that's everyone else's experience, but that was my experience. And, um, that was really like that workshop was the kind of the the catalyst to me, like, okay, I, I can, I can step into this and it feels good. Before I ask my next question, I have to know, because you are the second evangelical Christian, former evangelical Christian I've had on the show in a week. And I think I've had five now without knowing that that's necessarily Mm -hmm. their background. And what I find is that y'all are either sex goddesses, sex witches, teaching all the things, or you're on like incredible uh, psychedelic journeys. So what is happening? (laughs) Well, I would say I, if I have to choose between one or the other, I would definitely choose the latter is more, um, more applicable to me. Uh, I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm not any sort of like sex coach or I wouldn't describe myself as like this sex goddess. Like, of course I love sex and I consider it a psychedelic experience with Chase. Um, but you know, I would definitely kind of gear, you know, gear myself towards more of like that fascination and reverence towards, um, the psychedelic space. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, but that's interesting. That's interesting that you, that you, uh, that you've had, um, now two in a week. Yeah. It's like, there's this mass exodus happening and everyone's leaving around the same time and is moving in a similar direction. I guess, I guess it speaks to the freedom that 
you want after being in that sort of situation where you're either put in a box or controlled or led to believe certain things and just kind of go along with it because, you know, we're young usually when we're in, in religion and that's what we're taught. But it's just so interesting to me. I'm now seeing this pattern I hadn't seen before. And I'm just, I'm really curious of what that looks like for everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to shame. I don't want to like just sit here and shit on the Christian faith at all. I consider myself more of like a kind of a, a mystic Christian. Now I still look to and study Jesus. I still study Aramaic, you know, um, I want to connect through him, connect to him, uh, through the language that he spoke and taught in. Um, but as it relates to kind of the fall and redemption style of we're born into original sin that doesn't land with me anymore. Now that I'm in this space where I get to choose what I believe and I'm not just handed um, kind of a platter of, Hey, these are our beliefs and this is what we do. Um, I went to, you know, Christian school growing up and I was going to church every, every week. It was all around me. It, it would have been weird if I said no to it, honestly. And so you know, coming out of that and being my own adult and getting to this point in life where, you know, right around my divorce and everything, I was like, I, I, I want to know what I actually believe. What do I actually believe? And kind of digging into that side of myself, but it's, it's been a journey, honestly. And, um, I think again, just going back to the letting and the allowing, um, that if I resonate with a different belief, if something lands differently in my body, if a pastor is saying something up on the stage that I don't agree with, that's okay. And that was kind of like a very, very slow journey for me, kind of this exodus out of the traditional church setting into my own spiritual practice. That being said, I am more now, you know, subscribing to the attitude of um, we we're born into original blessing and we are love. We are good. We are blessed at our core. And um, that is God to me. God is synonymous with love. God is not this old man in the sky with lightning bolts and he's going to shame and punish us if we touch ourselves or if we have sex with our partner. There's a lot more freedom in how I view Christ and how I view God, but um, I'm still, I'm still kind of tearing down or peeling back the layers of these pathways that I grew up in. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's still every single day. It's, it's, Oh, that I believe that because I always believe that. But do I really believe that now? So how does that feel in my body is now the gauge that I use? What, what does it feel like in my body? I love that. I love, 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 love that. And I've had this conversation a couple of times this week, actually, and it's been heavy on my heart because I think oftentimes when you leave, I was raised Catholic, when you leave Catholicism or Christianity or whatever religion you come from, um, in the traditional sense of, of being in the church and you choose to be what people call quote unquote spiritual. That means that you no longer believe in God and you're just pulling Oracle cards and lighting sage and praying to whatever entity, you know, and goddess that speaks to your soul and calls you. And right. I'm all here for all of those things. And I still believe in God. I still, when I say I'm praying, whether it's to the universe or to angels, or I'm talking to my guides, I still believe I'm in conversation with God. That, that is what resonates for me. And I think it's really interesting because so often I think people are nervous to 
step into spirituality because they have been taught it's demonic or it's very negative or dark energy and that you're almost calling in this bad thing. When for me, and maybe this is just my experience, it actually feels like I'm closer to God because now I'm doing it in a way that resonates with me and my heart. And I feel like I can have a conversation the way it feels good for me, not read this prayer that's given to me that doesn't resonate with my body. Yes, exactly. That is spot on to an analogy that Chase and I talk about all the time is like, say, you know, for Christianity, it's really the most important relationship they tell us in your life is your relationship with Christ. Just like your relationship with your partner, significant other, husband, wife um, is also very important, but each of our relationships is going to look a little different, right? So my relationship with Chase looks very different than um, his brother's relationship with Chase, his mom's relationship with Chase, his dad, his sister, his friends. We're all relating to Chase, but our experience is very different. How we interact is very different. I believe, you know, if it's genuine, if it's authentic, if your relationship with God, Jesus, Buddha, you know, Muhammad, whatever your thing is, if, if it is genuine, it should look different than the people next to you. Mm. And if you don't agree with every single little thing that the pastor or the Bible study leader or your mom says, I would receive that as good feedback. That means that you are thinking your own thoughts and creating your own experience within your spiritual world. When you decided that you were going to start making your own decisions and go down your own path, what did that look like within your family and community? Well, I didn't make any sort of like big announcement. Um, I think just by interacting with me and how I speak organically to my family and, and how I, um, how I speak about God now, I think that they, they can kind of get it that I'm maybe outside of the, I'm coloring outside the lines, you could say of the Christian, um, coloring book, um, but I still have this reverence. So I think, and they see how happy I am in my life, my relationship, my career, that my self-love has never been better (laughs) in my life. Um, and that I'm ultimately becoming a better sister, daughter, friend, you know, so it's hard to, although I had a lot of like kind of angst, about this, like, oh my gosh, my mom's going to find out that I don't believe everything that I grew up believing. Um, Or Chase's family is going to find out that we don't really call ourselves evangelical Christians anymore. And, And this worry about what people would think. But you have to let you, we just got to a point where you have to let that go. You just have to, because if it's true, if it's authentic, if it's, if it's bringing you closer to love, which is ultimately what every spiritual journey and religion really should be doing is bringing you closer to love and closer to God, your family, your surrounding is going to sense that they're going to see the fruits of your life blossom in ways that they haven't seen before. And it's really hard to argue with that. It's really, really hard. So honestly, I haven't had any like direct pushback. I've had some engaging questions, conversations with our family, but 
I never made an announcement that like, Hey, I'm not an evangelical Christian anymore. Like I study Aramaic and by the way, Jesus wasn't white with blue eyes. Um, you know, like I didn't do any of that. I, I, I still, I want to honor and want to respect my mom's spiritual life and Chase's mom's spiritual life, even though it's very different than mine, maybe that's what they need, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't want to dishonor anyone else's journey. I just want to fully envelop myself in my own. Okay. I am thrilled. One of my favorite brands on the whole planet is now a sponsor of this show. This is one of those moments that I'm like, damn, I made it. (laughs) Um, But seriously, I have been using Organifi for years and I love their entire line, but there's a few things about them and their products that I truly appreciate and love to take advantage of. So I'll just tell you a little bit uh, of truth about me. I have a juicer. I have every intention of juicing multiple times a week. I would love to be on my celery game and get all those incredible nutrients and you know, just be the good wellness girl that I would like to be. And I'm just not good at it. The juicer sits there. I juice celery maybe once a month if I am on my game and then I'm annoyed at cleaning up and I just, it's a choice that I make. I just don't do it. And so this is where I have felt very supported by Organifi because they have a lot of different options. So you're not just having to have green juice if that's not your jam. And they do such a good job of supporting your immune system and bringing so many superfoods into your body in a very simple way. I'm all about simple. As you can tell, I can't even clean my damn juicer. So Organifi has three main products that I personally use all the time. Their green and red juices are organic. They have 11 superfoods in each of them. They take out the juicing and blending needs. And these products really help you beat that crash in the afternoon and also increase blood flow. So I just put a scoop in a glass bottle and shake it up with water. Sometimes I'll put it in the fridge so that it cools down. Um, And then I have that in the morning or after a workout or in the afternoon when I'm just really feeling like I need something and I don't want to turn to coffee because I'm off caffeine. And this is where my absolute favorite, favorite thing comes into play. Organifi Gold. Oh my God. If I could make love to a product, this would be it. I just want to bathe in this. I need to call them and ask them if I could bathe in this. I wonder if I put it in the tub. It would probably leave a stain on the tub because it is incredibly powerful with the turmeric and the ginger and all that, but I kind of feel like it would rejuvenate my body. I'm going to ask them and I'm going to report back. Anyways, the gold is so good. Every morning, Connor actually taught me how to make this really simple, easy little blend. So I just heat up my water. I put a scoop of the gold into the blender and then I put a heaping, emphasize the word heaping, tablespoon of coconut butter. I blend that shit up. Let me tell you, I don't have a problem being off coffee right now. I think I've been off for six days because caffeine is making me break out in a rash and giving me extreme anxiety. And I finally decided to break my addiction. 
So I have been hopping up on my gold every single morning. You've probably seen it in my stories. I'm all about this. So there's no caffeine in it. Yay. It has turmeric, mushrooms, lemon balm, and ginger. All the things I want in my body, especially being Pitta, I really want things that are calming and soothing and supportive of my system. And gold is really good for deep sleep and recovery. And I'm working out like a crazy woman right now. So hello, checking all of the boxes. I'm so excited. This was the longest ad read ever because that's how excited I am. And you're welcome because I'm about to give you a discount. So if you go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, use the code Kelly T, you'll get 15% off and let me know what you think. If you get the gold and you come up with some crazy ass concoction, because there's so many ways to blend it, please let me know. I would like to steal your recipe. Thank you very much. All right. Our next sponsor is Ned. I've been talking about Ned for months. You guys know that I love the transparency of this CBD company. They do such a beautiful job, just like Organifi, of putting in so many different medicinal products that really help you heal. So they have a brand new limited release immunity blend, and that has botanicals, herbs, fungi, and traditional medicine all blended into one. So they use cold extraction for every single one of their uh, products. They're infusing all the good vibes with binaural beats and positive affirmations. There's nothing synthetic in here. Yay. No flavor. It's completely pure. And this also helps with anxiety and sleep and inflammation. So if you're someone that has been dealing with any of that, I cannot recommend this collection enough. I am obsessed with Ned. It is my go-to every single day. So if you go to helloned.com slash Kelly T or enter Kelly T at checkout, you'll get 15% off your first order and free shipping. And they also have subscriptions now. So if you don't want to have to go in and order all the time, which that's me, I want simplicity in my life. You can get it delivered every single month on the dot. 20% off a subscription. Just use the code Kelly T. All right, let's get back into this one with Mimi. I'm curious what your relationship with sex was like before the divorce and then after. Well, (laughs) Chase and I, um, if you can believe this, we were together for six years or seven years. We dated for seven years before we were engaged and we were virgins for that entire time because we didn't on, well, a couple of reasons. We didn't want to get pregnant. (laughs) My dad would have killed me. Um, and there was a little bit of this, like there would have been some guilt just knowing like growing up in the church and knowing that rather being taught that sex was only for married people. Um, and, uh, so there was a little bit of that. And so that's, I mean, we did other things like, believe me, like we, we explored, yeah. <laughs> but, um, the actual like intercourse didn't happen until we were engaged. Oh. So, um, I hope Chase is okay with me telling everybody that. Love you, Chase. <laughs> um, love you. No, he's probably fine. But, um, so really I, I didn't have an open, I didn't have an open relationship with sex, sexuality. It was more of something that was taught to me to be, um, hush, hush, taboo, uh, 
you know, me and my friends group, friend groups at our little Christian school, we didn't talk about like masturbation or anything. Maybe guys did, but the girls absolutely did not. Um, You would have been weird if you would have like, you know, maybe you have a conversation with your best friend, but I didn't. So it was very sheltered again. Like I didn't know what a penis looked like until I was in high school. Um, I didn't even know about like what actual sex was until probably like seventh or eighth grade. I was not, you know, Chase and I, it's hard because we had a, a unique experience in that we were, we were virgins together, but we were still like in this very safe place of exploration with each other. We don't have, you know, from early ages of of being a teen, we don't have these, you know, horrible, like traumatic sexual stories. And I'm really grateful for that. Honestly, like there are times when I look back and I am grateful that I was overall sheltered because I don't have these teen trauma stories or any, you know, stories about guys forcing themselves on me as a, you know, 14 year old, like he and I created this very safe place within our sheltered little world of exploration and learning about each other's bodies. But he was my teacher. You know, we were each other's teacher. Um, It wasn't an adult or anything. It was each other. So I, and I don't know if you want to go there, but I'm, I'm curious now in terms of your own masturbation practices and being connected with your body and experiencing pleasure, at what point did that happen for you? Honestly, not till very recently. Um, it was ingrained in me that I've never, I've never wanted to, or, you know, felt the need to like explore porn. I just haven't, like, I don't judge people for doing that, but it just hasn't been part of what I deem as necessary. Um, so even though I never like, um, like looked at or experienced porn, you still get these like normal urges as a 12, 13, whatever teenager. And you're like, Oh, well, that feels good. If I like lay on my thumb, you know, like you just like figure it out. If I rub the pillow this way, hmm, tingling. Well, you're like, why is, why are my underwear like completely soaked right now? And why is my like vagina just like tingling, like without me even doing anything? Like you're just, because I had no sex education, I had zero sex education. And so you're just figuring it out yourself. So I always like, once you get, once you understand like, Oh, okay, that's masturbation. I think people automatically, um, link masturbation with pornography or something like that. When I never needed that, you know? And, um, and so it wasn't only until probably a couple years ago that I created a a safe place for myself when I was single, when I was apart from Chase, before we were back together, I created this space kind of like happenstance. Um, I was doing some, I was doing some like feminine energy work, um, through John Wyland and what he teaches. And I was just in this meditative state and I was just like, I was just like holding my body. And 
I just kept saying over and over to myself, you are safe, you are loved, you are safe, you are loved. And that led into just like this, like organic self-pleasure practice that now I was relating instead of relating any sort of masturbation or self-pleasure or connection to your own body with shame and guilt. And this is like, dirty, you know, like I shouldn't be thinking this or wanting this or having these desires. I was creating a new pathway and I was creating it with being safe and feeling loved, um, rather than feeling guilty and shameful. So then as you orgasm, you're now that pleasure is linked to feeling safe and loved, um, which is what my feminine wants. <laughs> so have that was ever, kind of, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just kidding. Have you ever done somatic therapy? No, not by, maybe I haven't, I didn't know it was called that, but I know I don't think so. So what you just described is exactly what my somatic sexological therapy looked like oh, in, wow. in somatic. It's all about rewiring those pathways and your neurological uh, system. So in sexological somatic therapy, they bring you to orgasm and doing that allows you to move out of pain into pleasure. And so it creates, um, and they do a lot of stuff outside of this. I don't want to say like it's 30 minutes and all of a sudden you feel safe, but they, um, just like you said, the affirmations before you go into your session, you talk through affirmations, um, of being safe, of being loved, of being seen, whatever your thing is. And then you go into the pleasure portion of your, uh, experience and it rewires those pathways so that mm. you now associate the pleasure with something positive rather than being in pain and thinking that you're bad and negative and shameful. And you created yes. that for yourself. And that's something people pay a bajillion dollars for. So good job. <laughs> I created it in my room by myself and it was quite organically. Honestly, I just, I remember having a, a hand on my heart and a hand on my kind of like womb area and it just started. And it wasn't because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so horny. I can't contain this. It was like, this feels right. This feels like I need to take care of myself. Um, again, I was single and, you know, on purpose single kind of in the self-development phase and in this phase of like, I need to focus on me. I need to heal me. I don't want to date anyone else. I want to basically date myself and not necessarily in the sexual way, but just like heal and take care of myself and focus on me. And that that just went right along with it. So yeah, I guess I have done somatic therapy. Good girl. <laughs> Do you feel like that also was a catalyst for understanding your body's needs and the way it was talking to you? Oh, absolutely. Like you, I mean, I use my body as a gauge so much in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I trust my instincts and my, you know, that gut feeling that is my intuition. That is my, um, some people, you know, would say, Holy spirit, Holy breath, that intuitive feeling that we all have. Um, I trust that now, but to really tap into that, you do have to get quiet. You have to quiet the noise and you have to allow again, letting and allowing. And, you know, I didn't really let myself go there until I dealt with 
some shit from my past because it's not always fun to sit in your thoughts. And if you're unwilling to face, you know, kind of some of the stuff in your life, I think it's really hard to tap into that knowing, that intuition, that Holy Spirit and breath, because you first have to, you first have to get past your own thoughts, feelings, beliefs, guilt, shame, all of that. You have to sit with that first. And if you can't do that, it's really hard to access, I think. So... After the divorce and when you guys got back together, what, what did it look like your relationship with sex with yourself and then coming back into partnership with that as a different person, both of you different Mm -hmm. people, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We were both different and it wasn't this like cat and mouse game of trying to get the other person back or trying to get back together. It was very, very platonic. We literally just got to this place where we met up for coffee and wanted to just get to a point where we could talk and wish each other well and genuinely hope the best for the other person. And we met up, um, during Christmas time, uh, two years ago and it turned into a three and a half hour conversation. And then a couple months later we met up at Expo West and that just snowballed and evolved because we now like were able to see, Oh my gosh, who is, I know you better than anyone, but who is this person in front of me? Like I, I and it really like sparked this curiosity. So to your question, um, at this point, Um, I had completely um, become celibate by choice. Like I am focusing on myself and I didn't want to give that energy out to anyone else because I knew that I needed it. I deserved it. Um, So at this point I had been celibate for like over six months coming into starting to talk more with Chase. And so it allowed a lot of, I guess, freedom and kind of this blank slate, honestly, for that. So when we did get back together and I told him like, one of the reasons why I was weary about coming to visit him in San Diego was because I knew um, that we were going to have sex. (laughs) I just knew based on our chemistry when we met up at Expo West. And I told him that I was very outright. I said, you know, um, I am celibate at this point. And, um, the next person that I choose to have sex with is going to be someone really important to me. And, um, I'm, you know, nervous about coming or traveling with you because I, I just know we're going to have sex and I don't necessarily want to go there unless it means that we're together and not as an ultimatum, but just telling him where I'm at. And so he knew this is really important to her. And, and I had kind of, now elevated sex to a spiritual experience. Um, and then when, when I did visit and we, we did decide like, yeah, we're doing this. I mean, I was here for maybe 30 minutes (laughs) before, like that, that chemistry was there. And I just, I was just like, yep, this is happening. I, and I feel good about it. So (laughs) (laughs) the body wants what it wants. (laughs) And it really was like our souls, our souls Mm -hmm. coming back together. And anyone who has had a psychedelic spiritual experience, um, in the ways of sex with someone really important who also views it that way knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it is on a soul level and I had never experienced that before, even with Chase. 
it, this was a completely new experience and, uh, it was a completely new type of exploration. Um, it felt very safe. It felt very right. And I mean, it was absolutely the, the best I've ever had. Yeah, it was. Sorry, I'm like getting, <laughs> Are you getting hot and bothered here, girl. <laughs> because it was so special to me. Yeah. It was so special because what I had elevated it to. So as you guys are talking and you have sex again for the first time in a while and you're realizing there is this almost like re-merging of who you are and what you guys want, what do those conversations look like mm-hmm. as you come back together with new negotiations, new boundaries, new values, and new a new framework for what this will look like? Yeah, honestly, um, there was a lot of unknown in the beginning because there's a lot of external noise anytime anyone gets back together, whether they've been married or not. And um, I knew what my body and my soul was telling me. Um, I knew that I was attracted to him and my soul wanted to be near him. Um, But there was a lot of external noise that we had to sift through. And the first one being, what the hell are our families going to think? Like, what is this conversation? How do we even start this conversation after three and a half, three and a half years? So that was the, the first, we just basically opened it up like, okay, after we kissed in Anaheim and Expo West, he grabbed my face and I gazed me for what seemed like 30 minutes and then gave me the best kiss of my life. After that, you know, we opened the the question to, okay, what if, what does this even look like? And it was, I mean, we, from the beginning, we said, we're completely transparent. There's no point in playing any sort of game. Um, if we're doing this, we're really doing this and we're being 100% in 100% transparent, um, 100% trustworthy. You're choosing trust, right? Like, things have gone wrong. I'm choosing this person in front of me because what the hell else choice do I have? If I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So there was a lot of intention right from the beginning. There was no wishy-washy like, oh yeah, let's try it out. See how it goes. This and that. There was no, well, I need to put you through this test. It was a choice. And, um, so that was right off the bat. It was, it was really apparent. And because we were so firm and steadfast in our decision um, with each other. And we had had many conversations, hours of conversation when we did bring it to our families. um, They obviously had their concerns and questions, but we were so confident that there wasn't a whole lot of like, there was some pushback, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to deter us at all we were steadfast. We were confident. Um, so there was a lot of structure and that was one of the things that I was so impressed with by Chase was, you know, in the dating world, everything is a game. Everything is a chess game. And you're wondering when should I text this person back? When are they going to ask me out? Should I hang out with them? Should I seem busy? This stupid chess game that exists. And with Chase, there was none, there was no game. And he was, decisive. He was assertive and, and he was also gentle and soft. And it was the first time that I I saw his 
balanced masculine and I was so drawn to it. So he, from the beginning, took the lead and um, it was really, really refreshing after years of just a game. So what does your relationship look like now? Because I know you're not remarried and I, I saw you talking about we're not dating. So what does that mean for you? Yeah, I, I do not call him my boyfriend. Um, we're definitely, this isn't a dating thing, um, but we're still not, you know, legally married. Um, and we've had a lot of conversations around this and uh, because we get a lot of questions like, oh, are you guys going to get remarried? And although I do believe in the institution of marriage, um, there's no rush for us to push that. And we've even had conversations that look like, you know, for now us, what feels right for us is to continually choose each other. And you can continually choose each other in marriage and you can show up for your partner just the same, but with marriage, you're kind of, you're kind of locked in, right? Like you can get a divorce. Sure. But that's lengthy. It's expensive. It's hard. So there's not necessarily this incentive to show up as your best every single day for your partner. And I have talked to so many people that have experienced this. I'm not saying that marriage is wrong. Absolutely. I believe in the institution, but for our specific situation, what feels right at the moment is to not have that that um, foundational or that institutional like quote stability, right? Um, like we're locked in um, because, you know, Chase has said this and he he would be the first one to say this, that if I wanted to leave, there's nothing legally tying me to him. I could pack up my stuff and be out of San Diego. Um, and similarly, he he could kick me out, right? Like, we're of course wouldn't do that to each other. But the point is that it's this little bit of incentive for us to continually choose to show up for each other in a way that we didn't when we were married. So I don't know what that looks like for the future. I'm not going to say that we're never going to go there or we're never going to have like a ceremony or a dedication or anything like that. But it's been about a year and a half since we got back together and we're just constantly, consistently asking each other and ourselves, does this feel right? Does this feel right? You know, this, this space of um, where our relationship is at. And so far it's felt really right just to stay unmarried. Well, <laughs> what it, so, but yeah, but what it sounds like to me is that you have a love that's rooted in freedom. Yes. And most people don't have that, which is why people just get divorced. Right. And when you see, literally see and feel your partner's soul, like that sounds very like grandiose or very woo, but I'm, I am sure of this as I am anything that I have experienced Chase's soul and it is tied to mine. And if we, for some reason separated in this life again, I hope we do not, but my soul in this life or, or another would attach itself, would find its way back to him. And we've said that if it wasn't a year and a half ago, maybe it would have been in five years, our lives would have, our souls would be trying to get back to each other. So again, it's this letting this allowing, just letting our souls really just be together. So 
it to me, that feels stronger in my body than a, a, a verbal sentence, vow, whatever you want to call it for me. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. That was, <laughs> I love that. And I've, I've heard you guys talk about your story and it just, I'm amazed at both of you every time because there is a consciousness and a willingness uh, to see yourself and to show up authentically as who you are in order to not only you know, honor yourself, but to honor the other person. And there's what seems to be a organic challenge between the two of you to uplift one another. And yes. to see each other as who you are, not who you want the other person to be. Yes, exactly. That was a conscious choice. And Chase and I were just talking about this this weekend because my, I go by Mimi on Instagram and social media and my website, but my, my name is Megan. And this is just a little example, but I just thanked him in the car this weekend. I was like, thanks for not being weird about, you know, me referring to myself as Mimi, you know, in this business space and social media and everything. and um, because for my whole life, he's known me as Megan. And, you know, he just said, you know, when we did this and when we were reunited and not even back together yet, I chose to embrace who was before me. And I chose to love or show love for whoever was showing up to me. And that in involved Mimi. So it was, it's a little example, but it, it, it's a good picture of, of what we were, were, um, kind of coming into this part two, as we call it, um, was this, as you are, whatever you've done to get to this bright, beautiful, shining version of yourself, I love. Whether that's spirituality, health, work, whatever it is, I love. Even maybe some baggage or relationships or whatever, like I can have love for that because it's helped create and, and add to this like, amazing, bright human in front of me. So beautiful. So I called you the mushroom queen when we started <laughs> and that you are darling. I'm <laughs> wanting to know now. And I know this is a very loaded question. What yes. have the mushrooms taught you? Oh my gosh. Um, I have such a deep reverence for all mushrooms and one of the main reasons is because they are such a connector. They are such a bridge to other parts of ourselves, to other parts of consciousness, to other parts of the world, um, to health, physical health, you know, medicinal mushrooms. And so I see them as a, a bridge, honestly, to all these other things that I, I hold so much value in. I have a deep love and respect for nature. I feel, literally feel God in the wind. I see play in the palm trees dancing in the wind. I stare at a flower for five minutes sometimes, one inch away from my face, looking at all the different veins and petals and the ways that it, that just the intelligence, the glory of its existence. I have connected deeper to Chase. I've, our, our first experience on psychedelic mushrooms, I 
looked at his eyes and I thought to myself, how have I never seen your eyes before? Um, I have connected to my soul. I've heard my soul speak to me, not only my soul, but Chase's, which sounds weird. Um, if, if perhaps you've never experienced something like this, but if anyone has, they'll know exactly what I mean. When you're on any sort of psychedelic journey, senses are, um, the, the lines between senses are sort of blurred. You can smell colors, you can feel sounds, you can hear, um, feelings, right? Like you, all these like lines are just blurred. And I felt my soul say to me, um, we were sitting on the rocks in San Diego and I was just looking at Chase, like at at his eyes, like I've never seen them before. Or like, how have I never seen your eyes before? And I heard, I felt my soul say to me, we've done this a thousand times. Like he and I, our souls have done this a thousand times. And that's what I mean when I, when I say I've, I've felt his soul, something that, that kind of rings deeper than any vow or sentence that I could say out loud. Um, I will never forget that feeling. And um, that's probably the most profound thing that I have learned or experienced through mushrooms. Um, But I could go on for hours, honestly. Oh, I know. No, it's so good. I I love that. I think that, so I, I sat with mushrooms three times in the last week. And for me, it's a heart opening experience and I get to hear myself and Mm -hmm. I have been incredibly codependent on different people my entire life. And I get that way very much in relationship. And I always have been a people pleaser and I'm, I want everyone to like me and I want everyone to give me their input so I can do the right thing. And I lose trust and I lose that inner knowing and that intuition. And whenever I sit with mushrooms, it is like I am just zoomed back into myself and the trust is reinstated. And it's just this knowing there's no doubt, there's clarity, there's truth, and there is just such peace and love. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me that these little plants have so much knowledge and their own consciousness and a way of working with you to unlock yourself so that you can fully be seen in your experience. Oh my gosh. It's mind blowing every time. It is. It is. I know exactly what you mean. And, um, that term, that, that noetic sense, that inner knowing that you can't explain how you know this, the the closest thing that I can, that I can, um, speak to or, or align it with is, um, you know, like in the matrix, when you just come out of it and you're, he's like, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, That's what it feels like. It feels like the mushrooms matrixed this information, whatever it may be into your brain, whether it's, Oh, we're actually all one. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. All of the plants are sentient. Oh, our earth is living. Oh, I see my partner here for whatever it is. There is no doubt. There is no, um, second guessing or questioning. It's really kind of this, um, really beautiful separation from our ego, but that still exists. That's still there. It's just not as loud. And there's just this calming 
knowing this noetic sense and something that I've noticed for myself, I'd be interested to hear from you. Um, when I'm on the medicine, I, my body dysmorphia does not exist. Oh yeah. I am able to, to see my body as I see others' bodies. You know, we're always, you know, when we're 100% sober, we're always more critical to ourselves on ourselves than other people, right? Like the picture is a good picture if we look good. And the person next to me closing their eyes is like, no girl, you look good. You look good. And we're so critical on ourselves. Um, but it allows me to see my own body for how others, what I hear and what I see from others, whether it be Chase or my mom or people who love me or whatever, you know, I look down at my legs. I have this very vivid image of us at Burning Man, uh, you know, on the medicine and I'm riding my bike at night and there's lights all over my bike. And I just feel so happy. So good. I'm just, I'm, I'm loving everything about the experience and I'm taking it all in. And I looked, I just looked down at my legs, which have been a, a kind of a point of just I'm just very critical of them there. I've always been muscular. I've always had to fit my jeans for my legs first and then my waist. They're just muscular and big, which you don't always want sometimes. Like sometimes you just want to be skinny. Okay. Yeah. But girl, thick thighs save lives. So totally. You got it going on. All of the self just criticism just leaves. And I have this very vivid image of me looking down at my legs and just being so impressed by them and being like, God, you're so powerful. Like my, my legs are so strong and impressive that they can wheel me across from six o'clock to 12 o'clock on the playa, no problem. And they, they, I'm walking around 20 miles a day. Like I'm just so impressed. And it's this deeper, like, oh, I have nice legs or I have ugly legs. It's this deeper, like, appreciation and respect for my own body, not looking at me in the mirror and being like, oh, damn, I look good. It's this deeper reverence. Yeah, I have a similar experience and I have a lot of sex shame and um, feeling like I'm bad and gross and doing something wrong. And so whenever I'm with mushrooms, I somehow end up on all fours, like moving my hips and moving in a very sexual way, like a, like almost like this lioness prowess, like on the hunt, Mm. but with myself, it's never really about someone else. I'm never, I'm, I'm never thinking, well, sometimes I am, but it's not often that it's about, I'm going to get Connor and I'm trying to woo Connor. It's I'm wooing myself. I'm so embodied. I'm so present and I love my body and I love the way it moves. And there's this deeper appreciation and connection to ecstasy and pleasure that I don't normally have when I am sober. And so when I feel like when I come out of those experiences, it unlocks that ability. And I think, oh, I can do that. And I can bring that into my everyday life. I can be that, that sexual being that woos herself, that feels sensual and connected and moves in a very feminine way. It doesn't have to be rigid and look like this and uh, awkward and uncomfortable or feel bad. And I, I love that feeling of just letting it flow however my body wants it to. Yeah. Just being free and allowing yourself to just whatever comes up is okay. And not 
guilt and shame is, is a really, is a really hard emotion to experience when you're on the medicine, even if something difficult comes up, it's, I I've never experienced guilt or shame. Like I've cried my eyes out and, and hurt for sure. But whatever comes up, I know is supposed to come up. And what's really beautiful about these experiences is that this knowing this noetic sense, you take that out you are able to, it like magnetizes itself to you different, very different than sometimes when say you're, you know, on cannabis or something and you have all these like crazy thoughts. And then the next day you're like, what was I thinking? What was I talking about? Oh my gosh, that was so good. I wish I would have written it down. We all have had that maybe. Um, but with experiences with mushrooms, it's in your body. It's like woven into your DNA now, and it's easier to dip into. And so whatever that, that experience was that came up for you that was supposed to come up is now accessible in this, in this now sober state, which I absolutely love. So mushrooms can be so healing for so many things. And I know that this is truly so much of your purpose and, and the way you are of service to women um, in healing, whether it is um, with body image and loving themselves, whether it is just this knowing and trusting, um, or if it's healing things like cancer and HPV, you show up so beautifully for this. So where did you figure out that mushrooms were the key to all of this? Well, honestly, as far as like uh, medicinally in our you know health, it was when I was practicing clinical dental hygiene. And one of my patients, she actually wasn't my patient, but she was um, a patient of the office. Um, she contracted HPV later in life and um, she had a naturopath that recommended quote, a mushroom to help her clear it. And she did, she did clear it. Um, and so I, of course I was really interested and I asked the other hygienist, I was like, Oh my gosh, you have to understand or, or tell me what, um, what mushroom this was. And I thought I knew, I thought I knew like reishi, chaga, lion's mane. I thought I knew about mushrooms just because I had taken, you know, drink four sigmatic a couple of times. But when I really like understood, holy shit, these beings, these sentient organisms have so much intelligence um, was when I started researching AHCC, which actually is not a mushroom. This was the thing that her naturopath recommended, AHCC. And I was like, what? That's not a mushroom. I've never heard of that. If this was so good, I would have heard of it by now. And then I went and started diving into the research and the reviews and the, the research organization. And that was three years ago and I haven't stopped. Um, so so that was really my kind of introduction into, holy crap, I need to, I need to educate people about this. People need to know about this option for healing. So how does it heal HPV? So I never actually use the term heal when I, I know I just said it before they are healing, but I can't make claims right. for people. So I don't want someone to think that it, it does have this healing ability. Yes. But for a virus specifically, um, I use the term clearing. So your body has the ability to clear this virus, whether it's this virus or any other infamous virus. Um, uh, it has the ability to clear it. 
Um, so AHCC, what it does is it increases your body's immune intelligence. That's why I named my specific um, AHCC label immune Intel AHCC, because we all have this innate and acquired immunity that we, you know, acquire through our life and AHCC actually increases the activity of both. So, you know, there are so many things toxins and chemicals coming at us from every angle, water, food, air, you know, all these things. And it it takes a toll on our immune system and there can be holes, there can be gaps, there can be, um, areas where, you know, there's, there's a letdown of this intelligence. Your body is so wise, but there's also a lot of shit that it has to deal with. And so HCC actually increases um, your body's immune intelligence. So it is actually smarter. It also decreases the amount of systemic inflammation. And it also decreases stress hormones in the body like cortisol and norepinephrine. So when you have that trifecta of benefits, immune intelligence, lowering stress and lowering inflammation. That's why it works for so many different diseases and conditions and infections, because I mean, there's, I can't think of one that isn't related to one of those three things that I mentioned. Um, so it is, it is an incredible, incredible, um, healing, um, intelligence that I can't not talk about now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and you do a beautiful job of talking about it because one thing I do know about you in the short time I've known you is that you don't do things for money and you don't (sighs) talk about products or brands or anything because of the paycheck you're getting. And I respect that so much because in a world where every influencer is selling something, you never know what's real. And you go above and beyond to do the research, to take it yourself, to create the product yourself, to make sure that people are putting on their body or ingesting the very best that they have to offer. And I think it's just, it's so important to make that distinction because it's really hard these days. And I appreciate the way you educate in such a genuine way. And you really care about people healing Mm. and getting better on a cellular level. And that really sets you apart. Thank you. I received that. That really, truly does mean a lot to me. Um, it at this point is comes quite naturally. Um, I am a firm believer that anything good that needs to come my way will attach itself to me in some way, shape or form, as long as I'm staying aligned with what I know to be genuine and true and good in my own self and doing things for just money or putting up a post that I don't really agree with. Oh, I don't know. I haven't really used the product, but they're paying me to post this. I've never done that once because it feels like lying to me. It feels so disingenuine. And I, I refuse to do that. I just, it, it, it just doesn't feel right. It goes against everything that I was brought up in, but then also what, what I've come to know, you know, through different you know, mushroom experiences and just different self-development. It just, it just goes against everything. And, um, I have, I have just come to know that people trust me and I refuse to misuse that in any way. 
Well, I respect that immensely about you. Mimi, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of this. This was such a great conversation. Oh, good. I'm so glad. It was so fun. It flew by. It did. I love it. Thank you. Last thing I want to say before we close out this show, I just want to give a shout out to my incredible friend, McLean McGowan. So I found McLean a few years ago because I was looking into birth and pregnancy and postpartum and what's a doula and how does this all work and what kind of support do I need when this all happens? And we became really good friends. And McLean hosts the show Mother the Mother. And I love this podcast. McLean is so real and so raw and vulnerable. She talks about the hard stuff, the good stuff and everything in between. And she's super informative and educational. So she knows so much about parenting and birth and what pregnancy looks like and all the things that happen. And I just love the guests she has on and the just honesty, honestly. The honesty that she brings to these conversations is so needed. So if you have not listened to Mother the Mother, you don't have to be a mama. I'm not a mama, except for my doggies. And I get so much out of listening to this show. So the link is in the show notes. Head over, listen to McLean. And if you have any mom friends or people you feel like are moving in that direction who need a little guidance, McLean is your gal. So be sure to do that. All right. See you later. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.